This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isora the camel. I will now always cherish Isora the camel. <laughs> it does make you wonder. I never really thought that maybe what John ate and had had people asking questions. John's like, focus on what I'm saying. So I, I never thought about that in the text, but now I have this different perspective as to what uh, John may have experienced in those coming out to hear him. Well, here we are in our journey through the Bible. We're in Exodus, and I want you for a moment uh, to just get a picture in your mind of your favorite mode of mass transportation. Everyone has, you have your favorite mode? Okay, perfect. Now that you have that favorite mode of mass transportation in it, I want you to, to kind of think a, a darker moment. How do you get out of that mode of transportation in an emergency? Okay, now this is what's interesting. As you start to think about that, all of those modes, whether you chose plane, train, bus, subway, they have emergency exits, uh, and they have details on them. But you probably haven't thought a lot about them because most of the time when you're on that transit, you don't anticipate a need to use it. You just you know that it's there. Like even on a school bus growing up, I remember when our buses changed. We got new buses that had red handles on some of the windows. We didn't always have red-handled windows, but then we had red-handled windows. Uh, and they told us very clearly, do not pull up on the red handle, or at least that's what the grown-ups told us, Although the message told us something different, didn't it? The message on the window said, pull handle. The balancing act of being a child. It tells me to pull, but it said to pull it in an emergency. So this question of how is it that we get an exit? How do we get out of something where we thought we wanted to be? And so we find ourselves in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus takes place around 1500 B.C. Last week when we wrapped up in Genesis... We ended at about 1800 B.C. There's a gap of about 300 years from Joseph and the end of that story uh, to when we now pick up in Exodus where people have forgotten about Joseph and what he's done. Uh, the Reverend Martin Luther would write this uh, about Exodus. He said these opening words to kind of give it setting. He said, when the world was now full and sunk in blindness so that men scarcely knew any longer what sin was and where death came from, God brings Moses forward with the law and selects a special people in order to enlighten the world through them and by the law to reveal sin anew. See, from 1800 B.C. to now 1500, the world's forgotten a lot of what took place in Genesis. It took you guys just seven days to forget what happened in Genesis. It took them hundreds of years. I, I'm somewhat joking, but you've read a whole lot of Exodus. You're like, I don't remember everything from Genesis. You filled my brain with 40 chapters or 37 chapters thus far of Exodus as we finish reading that this afternoon. Now in emergency, I also want you to think of something else. You're back on that mode of transportation. You're curious how you'll get out. And even here in the theater, they have signs, right? Which should be illuminated, which is somewhat interesting now that I look at some of them. I had not noticed until right now. You know, that sign would mean nothing if you didn't understand what that is. It would just look like a group of letters that are lit. You see, an exit doesn't help you if you don't know what it's actually for or where it's sending you. 
The truth is some people can be told to go a direction even though you think they're helping them, but if they are set on going the other way, even though you are telling them this is the way to go, they'll do what? Go the, they'll go the other way. Well, the Exodus is an interesting story of wanting to leave from a place, and even though someone says they've got it all figured out, you might want to go the other direction. Well, following that death of Joseph, the descendants of Abraham, the one who had been promised that he would care for the people, that the descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the heaven, the Exodus gives to us God's name, his attributes. It gives to us his power to redeem. It gives to us his law. It gives to us how he desires to be worshipped. So let's go to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. God calls to him out of a bush. Calls to who? Moses. Moses, a man that God selects and says, this is the guy. Now remember who Moses is. Moses is a man who, yes, is raised in Pharaoh's house. Kind of echoes of Joseph, is it not? We've got someone who is in the right place at the right time to have this experience, to understand the court of Pharaoh, to know all of those things, the language. This is all stuff Moses will bring with him. But Moses is also a man who left Pharaoh's court because he had killed an Egyptian, defending one of his Jewish brothers. But he left and then goes and marries into Jethro, a priest of Midian. Midian. Hmm. Midian. Is that Israel? It's not. <laughs> but he married into the family, so this seems like the right guy to choose to save Israel, right? The guy who married into the wrong family tree. See, for some, they'd say, this can't be the guy. He's, he's not in the right lineage. He's not the right type person. God doesn't always take the person that we would suggest is right. God takes the person he knows is right and equips them to be exactly who they need to be. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And this is what the scriptures would many times present in our language as a theophany. Theophany is another great big theological term that just means God making his presence known. But he's masking his presence in an earthly peace. In this case, it's a bush that's not being caught up. In other places, we'll see theophanies of God's presence coming down. You heard another theophany in Luke 3. When Jesus is baptized today, you know that theophany is a voice doing what? Calling down out of heaven. And then we also hear in other accounts of the Gospels that the Spirit comes on Jesus as if a, yeah, like a dove, that the Spirit descends like a dove. This is another theophany, meaning God making his presence known to you in this world. Not a far-off, distant God, not a God who's aloof, not a God who's disconnected, not a God who created the world or set it in motion and then disappeared. That is not the God of the Scriptures. The God of the Scriptures is involved in earth. The God of the Scriptures is involved in the life of his people. He's not distant. He's not far off. He cares and makes his presence known. And just like in Genesis, when God sought Adam and Eve following their fall into sin. Remember, he goes and is seeking them. Adam, where are you? <laughs> he asks where you are. Oh, well, we, you know, we had just become aware of some things and we thought we'd just 
go off. God sought them. God seeks Moses. God moves first. God moves here first. Now, what's unique about how God moves is God moves because his people ask for help. Verse 7 and 8 tells us more. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. See, God was aware of what was taking place. He had seen it. But then he goes on further and says, and I have heard their cry. So God saw it. He was engaged in the life of his people. Then they are crying out for assistance. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, Exodus 3, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to take care of my people, the people that I told you back in Genesis that I would form, the people that were shaped and brought from that area around Canaan and others down because there was no food. But God had prepared Joseph. God was acting in the world to make that happen, to protect the people. But now, again, 300 years have passed. People have forgotten what God had done. And more importantly, they forgot Joseph. Can any of you name the last, like, 10 or 15 presidents and all their vice presidents? Some of you can. A lot of you, no. I bet it'd get harder if I asked you to name the Speaker of the House for the last 20 or 30 years. But, man, you certainly know him today. You wonder, how could they forget Joseph? <laughs> it doesn't take long for you to remember someone who did something because you're worried about what? Today. You're worried about what's happening now. And trust me, Joseph did a whole lot more impressive things than any Speaker of the House or President, just, just so we're clear, so you don't think, no, Joseph is not on, he would surpass them in what he accomplished as God had led and directed those people. Moses. Moses is an interesting man. The Exodus continues, Moses says to God, but I, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Turns out Moses is very self-aware. This is a trait that most people, uh, they now tell you in like leadership literature, you're supposed to be self-aware, self-actualized, know who you are, be aware, be a leader who leads from behind. So in some ways, they might look at Moses and be like, he is the perfect leader because he wants nothing to do with leading. <laughs> well, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but what you have here is Moses going, I know me, I know what I've done, and Lord, I know I violated what you asked of me. You asked me to be more, I abandoned my people. Yes, he was saving a fellow Jew who was being beaten by a taskmaster. Yes, he thought he was doing what was right in the moment, but he stepped away because he was also worried about his own Life. He knew they were coming for him. Indeed, they were. Someone said, hey, that's the guy. And Moses fled. The text continues, verse 11 and 12 of chapter 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He then goes on to describe his name. Did you catch that phrase in there? What makes Moses different? But I will be with you. That's what makes Moses different. What makes Moses different is that he's willing to go forward. How many of you have been a reluctant leader in your life? Yeah, 
You don't have to be the head of any organization to be a reluctant leader. You can be reluctant for lots of things. You don't want to go into a new line that opens up at Target or at Walmart because you're afraid you're going to choose the wrong line, even though the person goes, I could take someone over here, and you wonder, is it the right decision? And then you make the decision, and you go, ah, I'm reluctant. Because you realize six other people got there, but you've already left your spot. Trust me, Moses' decision is much bigger than that. But I just share with you, reluctance doesn't just come in the form of these massive leading nation people. It comes to you and me as well as we can be reluctant as to what God is doing. Reluctance can sneak into our lives as well. And so we hear in Moses what it is to be reluctant and then to be corrected, to be loved, to be cherished, to be equipped, to be cared for. See, the presence of God changes everything. As we move into our reading that we heard this morning from Exodus 15, it's a song. I know it was spoken to us, but it begins in verse 1 and 2. It says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Because Exodus isn't just about the exit. It's not just about getting out. Remember, we started with transportation. How do we get out? God actually does the getting out. God gets them out, and then they start singing. Saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Who triumphed? God did. See, the song isn't about Moses accomplished. The song is God accomplished. The horse and his rider he's thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God. I will praise him. That sounds a little different than sometimes how we speak about God, isn't it? I've got God. I've got feelings. I've got these things. No, no, no. God's my salvation. God's my strength. God is my song. He is the one who leads the way. He threw the horse and rider in the sea. Moses didn't do that. Aaron didn't do that. But most of you, the image you have of the Exodus is still generationally, I realize now, interpreted. We're losing it a little. For most of you, it's Charlton Heston with his arms done what? Yeah. Charlton Heston's arms are raised. This is the Exodus. To which Moses would have said, whoa, 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 you're telling the wrong part of the story. You're telling the complete wrong part of the story. You should tell the singing that comes after, the remembering of the story. How unfortunate it is that in Christianity today, we have relegated any celebration or remembrance of the Exodus to that's just something that Jews do. They celebrate the Passover. Again, the Passover leading up to the Exodus. Oh, that's something they remember. That's their story. <laughs> that's our story. I'm not suggesting you need to start celebrating the Seder meal, though you can do it. There's nothing wrong with remembering the Seder. Do you know what they remember in the Seder? God's work, of which I am delightfully pleased any time that any of you remember God's work. But we've culturally disconnected because we think that's someone else's story. No, it's our story. Because God has given that story to us through adoption in baptism. He's welcomed us into this grand narrative. But we don't always like being led somewhere. We don't always like the direction. They may not have even liked what Moses was up to. That is the people of Israel. Some of them are reluctant as they go out, right? We're going to get a whole lot more of that as we step into Leviticus and Numbers. I know, some of you get so worried. Numbers is like a very exciting narrative text, just so I'm prepping you for it. It just has a census at the beginning and the end. That's it. The rest is narrative. Don't get scared by numbers. It's, really, it's the 40 years wandering. That's numbers. It's filled with intrigue and human interaction. So if you like human intrigue, read numbers. 
But as we step in here, we get the reluctance of people not liking the direction Moses is giving them. They don't like being taken out because they thought it was better. I remember growing up with my parents. They had different directions for me, some that I even know now. How many of you have a phone? How many of you get a weekly report that tells you how much screen time you have used? How many of you are pleased with your screen time report? Few who normally get their screen time report weekly are impressed to realize the hours and hours that we can put in front of a phone. See, I grew up in a household that we didn't have screen time. We had what was just at that point called a television. See, now we don't even call it screen time. is now this new phrase. My parents had limited the amount of hours you could watch the television in a given day, but they gave us great freedom. You could watch whenever you wanted until you had reached your allotment. That was your choice. I remember many nights crying behind the door to the television room as the family all watched a show that I was not able to watch because I had blown my allotment right when I got home from school. I mean, gone. And my mom said, oh, you can sit on the other side of this door. And you might think about making different decisions in the future. <laughs> Rules. I didn't like my parents at all. <laughs> at all. But they loved me, and they gave me rules and instructions. See, the rest of Exodus takes the people out, and God gives them rules and instruction because he loves them. Even though I'm sure at some point one of those Ten Commandments has done something to you you didn't like. You know what it did? It took a big old baseball bat out, and it hit you hard. And you said, well, that's not a nice commandment, God. To which God said, I had made them very clear and enumerated them. I had warned you, but you're going to have to live by that rule. My mom, you may know her as a loving person. She was not big in caving. She was very content to let us just deal with our consequences. little neighborhood story to share with you. I had a next-door neighbor who wanted a dog. So she decided she would go on a starvation diet until she got a dog. You know what my parents' reaction to that was? Would have saved us in grocery bills. <laughs> I was like, wow. The other one they tried was, I'm going to not breathe. My parents also told my brother and I what they would do if we decided not to breathe. Well, God made your body wondrously, and if you don't breathe, you'll pass out, and that actually will bring you back to life. I, was, I learned very quickly that when my parents made rules, I could disobey them, but I was suffering the fact that if I disobeyed, I disobeyed. We've tried to change God's rules in our world today, that somehow we can rewrite them, that they can be different. They are not different. They are the same. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We can't exit out of the rules. God set them for us so that he might care for us. You see, God spoke those in Exodus 20. And he spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. None. Don't let it be your phone. Don't let it be your television. Don't let it be your neighbors. Don't let it be anything. Don't let it be church attendance. Well, you know, I think I'm crazy. There's a lot of people who are real happy to go to church who have no idea what God's actually saying. Church became a social club and connections, and this is where they will connect with people and do different things. If you've been in the church long enough, you've met those people. Church is a cultural experience for them. And then people point at the church and say, oh, the church is the problem. The church is not the problem. It's people in the church who've stopped listening. See, the people of Israel were in problems because they stopped listening to God. What happened from Joseph to the Exodus is 300 years and people forgot what God had said. 
They forgot God's provision. They forgot God's care. They became reluctant to do anything except what they wanted to do. See, the Ten Commandments introduce to us a God who cares about our life, God who cares about what we're doing on this day. God's law, the commandments, is God caring. We live in a world now where people are fighting to remove the Ten Commandments. This is tragic. It is tragic. Now, I realize that that does not change God if the commandments are removed from public places. I know that. But it is telling of a society that wants to remove those commandments. Commandments that were intended to help you live and preserve in the face of trouble. We as human beings, and trust me, it's not limited to our nation. Please don't think this is just a United States of America blight. Go to Europe. Anyone been to Europe recently? I would say they're the cutting edge. They're just ahead of us. <laughs> they threw some of this stuff out a long time ago, and they're throwing it out more quickly than ever. But it doesn't mean, oh, great, so we're better than them. No, no, no. <laughs> the path we're on is an exodus. But we're headed to an exit away from God. God is speaking to us, and he says these things at the close. See, for some of you, exodus, as you read it this week, you thought, oh, wow, it's about the exodus narrative. It's about leaving Egypt. It is, but it's leading you out of Egypt back into God, back into God's presence daily in your life. God desired his people to gather in worship, to be around him, to be in what Exodus recalls the tabernacle. We get descriptions of the Holy of Holies where God's presence would be, his physical presence on earth. That you would actually see, a, here it is again, a theophany, God's physical presence as he would dwell in that most holy place. And they would actually see that cloud go up and they'd know oh now god is gone it's safe for us to break down the tabernacle and move we can move and then we'll set camp again exodus 40 the glory of the lord filled the tabernacle throughout their journeys this is the people who actually can physically see god's presence everywhere they go could you imagine that whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle the people of israel would set out but if the cloud was not taken up then they did not set out till the day it was taken up Man, talk about you wonder how long you're going to be here. I don't know. God will tell us. I mean, really? God told them. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all the journeys. You'll get more descriptions as we walk through the rest of these first five books, the Torah, that talk about all the tribes are aligned around it with a tabernacle in the middle. God wanted everyone to know God is in the midst of you. Some of you are looking at the front of this going, man, the glory of the Lord filled it. That'd be great. Guess what? God is in this place right now. He's in each of you who through the waters of baptism, God gave for you an exit plan. You wonder, how do we find, oh, you know, I got planes and trains and exits and other, well, God gave you an exit out of sin. And it started at the font of baptism where God said, I'm going to get you out. I will drown just like hard-hearted Pharaoh. You will be drowned in the waters of baptism and raised to new life. You see, that's why in baptismal liturgy we remind people that's the connection. That's why we read from Romans 6 this morning that we are connected into Christ's death, that we rise. The same Christ who in Luke 3 we're told is what? This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But you may have caught the tail end of our Exodus 15 reading, right? Right at the end of verse 22, all the singing, and then God leads them out, and there's no water. <laughs> 
and thus begins a whole bunch of questioning and doubting and worrying, and God didn't do this, and God didn't do that right. It doesn't take us long. Some of you right now are pumped. You are ready. You're like, I get it. Exodus, yes. God's got me. I will probably not call all of you an hour and 45 minutes from now, but a significant number of you an hour and 45 minutes from now will say, I don't have it anymore. I had it. I felt really pumped. I felt good, but I don't have it anymore. God's presence is in this place. Our exodus, our exodus out of sin is God's entrance into this world. You have the exodus story of the Old Testament, but God is daily drawing you out of the bondage to sin. It is why we speak of baptismal renewal as something daily that flows over us so we might be reminded that God is making you new today. May you walk forward, not reluctant at all, but energized by a Lord who is out in front of you leading the way, the Christ who has come, the Christ who cares, equips, and whose presence is known at this hour in this place. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.